I am sure that those of you, especially men, will know the words, just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts. But I wonder how many of you remember Susan Smith. Susan Smith, around 1992-93, caught the attention of almost the entire world to say nothing of the United States. As she told the story before the, ca the, the cameras, how she had been abducted, her car was carjacked, her two babies in the car were taken, and she, was, she described the man whom she claimed did it, and no one could dispute what Susan Smith was saying as she looked so sincere in saying it, the tears running down her cheeks. I myself can remember feeling, how could anyone be so unfeeling to take two little children and take off with them? It was only a few days later that it was all a lie. That what Susan Smith had actually done, because of an extramarital affair she had, she took her two children and she drove the car into a lake and killed them. Facts can be amazing things. False facts can make us believe false things. And we need to have true facts so that when we talk about this idea of Christmas, we're not talking, as Peter said, we're not talking about something that was created by man to exercise the imagination of people so we would have something with which to live, to believe. There are people who believe that today. There are church people who do not believe that Jesus was a real person. And that's why the texts were read this morning from Galatians and from Luke. And for the next few moments, we want to look at facts about Christmas, I'll look at just three of them. There are more. As we were singing the songs, you would notice that during the songs, again and again, this word prophecy, fulfillment, because it was from antiquity, way back there. So I want to begin this morning with the first fact of Christmas. And the first fact of Christmas is the providence of it. What do I mean by providence? Listen to what providence, the, the definition. It is the continuous activity of God. Providence is the continuous activity of God whereby he makes all events to work out his purposes. All including what happened to my grandson this morning. He makes all events. No event takes place on earth, but that God is able to work in it to bring about his will. The book of Esther. The book of Esther is a book of providence. The name of God is never mentioned in the book of Esther. But no one can deny that every page speaks of the divine activity by which God was working. 
In our text this morning, St. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote these words. When the fullness of time had come, when the fullness of time, time, what is time? Time is a period of duration in which events take place. We can tell what we do in time, but we cannot really define time. We don't know what it is. We, we look at a period from, from this to that, and we say during that period. And back in Genesis chapter 3, when sin entered the world, God made a promise in Genesis 3.15. And he talked about the seed of the woman that was going to destroy the, the, the enemy, Satan. And from Genesis 3.15, men and women have waited. They have looked at circumstances in time, that duration and sometimes they were able to discern something of the divine work. But not always. They were not able to, to pinpoint how this connected to this. And time does, not ex time does not allow me to go through what I want to share with you about this thing we call time. God made a promise and when you read all those genealogies in Matthew and Mark uh, and, and Luke, each of those name mentions are names in which during time God was keeping his promise. Now I'm going to jump ahead because time does not allow me, like I said. And look at the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. And in Malachi, God made a promise. From Malachi to Matthew, 400 years elapsed. There is time again. 400 years. And the promise that God made in Malachi was that he was going to send someone to precede the coming of the promise of Genesis chapter 3. And the one who was going to come was John the Baptist. He was going to be the forerunner, as we read in Luke 1 and 2. But between those 400 years, theologians call those years the silent years, because there was nothing at all to suggest that God was doing anything in time to affect the promise he made back there in Genesis. Zechariah is in the temple doing his service to God. And the angel appeared to him and said, Zechariah, your prayers have been heard. God is going to send, not the Messiah, but the forerunner, and jumping ahead, when we get to Matthew 11, Jesus now, being born, 
Jesus said, John the Baptist was the fulfilled promise of Malachi chapter 4. So even though it looked like in those silent years nothing was being done, God was at work. When, when, when we couldn't see how he was moving, he was, he was working. And my friends, I, I could take off on that. Because I can say to you, in your life and mine, there are times when we wonder where God is. And God is where he has always been. He is working. His footsteps are in the sea. We cannot always trace what he's doing. We rest upon what he has promised. And sometimes his promise seems almost defeated. Sometimes his promise seems almost unfulfilled. But he's at work. I was thinking of these words all during this, this past week. How silently, how silently. What was the writer of the hymn saying? He was saying that, that it seems so silent, nothing is happening. And then I bowed my head and I say, where is God in the darkness? Where is God in the silence? Where is God when I can't make sense? Of where I am. He's working. Providence means that in, in the midst of our sleep, in the midst of when we're awake, whether we are conscious or unconscious, whether we're using time wisely, destiny is active. God has a purpose. And we cannot look at all the pieces that he puts together. Time may be silent or questionable, questionable to us, but time is moving toward the divine purpose. So let's look at the arranger of time. Time is arranged. When the fullness of time, Mary was minding her own business nine months before. So was Elizabeth. So was Zechariah. And all of a sudden, God said, I want, to, I want to make the connections. I want to make the connections for Malachi, Zechariah, and Elizabeth. And remember what I said last week when we talked about Elizabeth's song. Elizabeth went into hiding, as it were. We don't know how old she was when she was pregnant with John the Baptist. But when the baby heard the greeting from Mary, there was a divine connection between the forerunner and the expected Messiah called Jesus. Who arranged that time? Who was working when we could not see? The time was fulfilled in the mind of God. That is why we're told to trust in the Lord with all our hearts and do not lean on our own understanding. Because, my friends, the way in which God works, you and I are not able to fully comprehend. That's why we must trust him. He arranged the time, the duration in which things happen. He puts the pieces together. Listen, listen to Isaiah chapter 6. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, 
and we almost stop right there, but the next verse says, but the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. That word zeal is where God has committed himself to do it and nothing can stop it from happening. God is the arranger of time. We might not be able to define it. We might not be able to fully describe it, but we know that with, as long as you and I are breathing and as long as you and I trust him, my friends, we are not aliens simply. We are aliens under the direction of the divine hand. You know, last week or two weeks ago in, in Seattle while we were there, Celebrating the aftermath of the of the wedding, and uh, I I was kind of teasing LJ, which I will not do it again. And he was going to drive home, and I thought I better make sure that I'm on the other side of the road, going in the opposite direction. I was only being funny as a grandfather. But my friends, I won't say that to him again, because I think to him. It's no fun being caught in an accident. I'm thinking of all the things that will happen as a result of that accident. And what I have to do now is as God opens the opportunity is to share with him how in all things God works for the good of those who love him. His providential care is there whether things are understood or whether they are not understood. He must know that God was not sleeping. God was not ignoring him. And you must know that as well. You must know that there is no power to stop God from what he has promised. Hundreds, thousands of years had gone by since the first promise of the Messiah coming. And all through the prophets of the Old Testament and up until the coming of John the Baptist, we could never see how God was keeping his promise Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, says the writer of the hymn, God Knows in a Mysterious Way. William Cooper suffered from depression all his life, but he was able to write, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence in time, he hides a smiling face. God arranges the time, and the time are arranged by God. So what's going to happen now? How is Christmas portrayed? If we look back in the Old Testament and we see the, the, the 400 years of silent, uh, what we call silent period, then all of a sudden burst the angels one night. But I want you to look at two things before we get there. I want you to see the providence of God in the portrayal of Christmas. 
Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, out of the blue, Luke writes that Caesar Augustus was the emperor, Quirinus was the governor, and for some reason, Quirinus thought, it's time for us to have... I'm, I'm, I'm smiling. Uh, perhaps Kim is the only one who could understand while I'm smiling. Because um, he decided to do something about taxing the people. Out of the blue, there was something amazing about this. I want you to listen to one of my favorite men, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to be quick with this, but just listen carefully. Talking about the providence of God politically. Politically. These were two political leaders. These were physical people ex exercising their authority. Augustus was sitting on the throne of the Roman Empire, and the touch of his finger could move the machinery of government in motion all over the civilized world. He was proud of his power and wealth, and it was one of his favorite occupations to complete a register of the populations and the revenues of vast dominions. So he issued an edict, as the evangelist, evangelist Luke tells us, that all the world should be taxed, or to express accurately what, what the word probably meant, that that means to serve on the basis of future taxation. I love that. One of the countries affected by the decree was Palestine, whose king Herod the Great was a vassal of Augustus. He was nothing but a puppet. It set the whole land in motion, for in accordance with the Jewish custom, the census was taken not at the place where the inhabitants were at the time of residing, but the place for which they belong as members of the original 12 tribes. Among those whom the edict of Augustus thus affected were Joseph and Mary. They had to go to a journey of nearly 100 miles in order to inscri inscribe themselves in the proper register. For though peasants, they had the blood of kings in their veins and belonged to the ancient and royal town of Bethlehem. Day, listen now, Day by day, the emperor's will, like an invisible hand, forced them southward along the weary road, till at last they climbed the rocky ascent that led to the gate of the tongue. He, Joseph, terrified with anxiety, and she well nigh dead from fatigue. They reached the inn, but found it crowded with strangers who, bent on the same errand as themselves, had arrived before them. No friendly house opened its doors to receive them, and they were, they were, they would, they were, they were fain to clear for their lodging a, a corner of an inn yard also occupied by the beasts of the numerous travelers. There, that very night, she brought forth her firstborn son. And because there was neither womanly hand to assist her on the couch to receive him, she wrapped him in swaddling clothes 
and laid him in a manger. One political edict moved everyone, and God was right in the middle of that. See, if the baby was born six months before, it wouldn't be Bethlehem that God said he would be born in. If the baby were born six months later, it wouldn't be Bethlehem. Because that day was arranged by God and the political movement of, of Augustus and Quirinus were the means, the human means that God used. And I can just imagine, I can just imagine Joseph saying, did he have to do it at this time? After all, my wife is pregnant. And, and they didn't have 727s and Toyotas in those days. They moved on, on four wheels, but they were wheels of animals. <laughs> but the political decision, my friends, in the political de decision, please listen, in the political decision was a divine decision, a divine direction. I, I looked at the news yesterday and I said to my wife, everything that is coming out of the news today just distresses you. But all oh, my friends, do we realize that there's a divine decision in it? We don't know how, because we're not God. Let me quickly, not politically, here is the divine decision and the political one. But it was also historically verified. Listen to what the angel said. Unto you is born this day. This day. It is a day, it is a time, it is a period, it's a duration. It can be, it can be verified. So important, so important in that day. I love this. So important that day. That from that day, history is recorded from that day, and everything prior to that day is before the Lord, and everything after that day is in the year of our Lord, A.D. That's how important that day was. It's a day that changed history. It's a day, my friends, that is still being discussed today. Was it a real day or was it... One figure has split history in two, and it happened that day in time and space that God fulfilled his promise. That's what, that's the fact of Christmas. <laughs> there is the fact of his providence. He arranges. There is, my friends, the, 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 the fact of his portrayal. But let me quickly get to the fact of the present. My, my, my wife came to me, and, and we're doing, I, I, went, I, went to, I, I stopped at um, the dollar store yesterday. <laughs> and I was standing behind a, a, a lady, and she was doing her stuff. 
And the lady who was the, the cashier said, <laughs> two more days and men will begin to shop. So I stood there. I don't take, and I, I said, if a man had said that, he'd be in trouble. <laughs> she laughed. She laughed. I'm thinking my wife came to me and she said, what do you want for Christmas? And I said, nothing, which is the worst thing to say. That you have to come up with something. So I said to her, buy me some t-shirts. That's a necessity. <laughs> That's the thing you put in the, in the stockings. That's not gift you really give anyone for Christmas. So I, I don't know what I'm getting for Christmas. I, <laughs> I, I, I know what I'm getting her. I haven't asked the question. And don't you ask me either. <laughs> what was the present? Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Please note, the present is a person. And this person has to do with the promise of God. It reaches way back to Genesis 3 when God saw the devastation that sin had brought into the world and no human being has been able to reverse that. And before there was time in the providence of God there was a divine conversation taking place because Galatians 4 said, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son. He didn't say, okay, let's see what we're going to... No, no. Somehow in the annals of eternity, God was working up to that day. In time, he was using time to fulfill what had already been planned and completed in eternity. And so when that day came, he sent a present to the world. Ladies and gentlemen, that present is for you, for me. The angels were so confident in this present that it says, which shall be to you and all people. I was telling someone the other day, listening to one of my favorite men, Albert Moeller, and Albert Moeller said he was attending a service in, in California, and he was sitting beside an Indian man from, from South America. And he said, well, he was sitting beside the man, and all of a sudden, he was made to realize that this man, this Indian man, was the very man that killed Jim Elliot in South America, 1956. Some of you remember that. When the missionaries wanted to go into Ecuador, Today, that man is a devoted believer of Jesus Christ because he has received the present. And you can, my friends, if there's someone in this place this morning who has never trusted Christ, this can be a special day for you. 
It can be the day when you receive the present. That's why he came into the world. Listen to what Jesus told, what the angels told to, 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 uh, to, to Joseph. And, and remember this, Joseph could not name Jesus because Joseph was not the father of Jesus. Joseph could be a guardian, a guardian, but he could not name him. You, you only name that over which you have authority or if you have authority to name. And they were told, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from sin. Listen, friends. The mission of Jesus could only be accomplished by who Jesus was. Without sin, without a human father by which he would have had sin in his veins. All that God used of Mary was her womb, in which the Son of God was the tabernacle for nine months. And then he said, he's going to save. John 3.17, later on, Jesus is speaking, for God did not send his world into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's what Christmas is all about. That's the facts of Christmas. How could God love me? I know who I am. How could I have hope in this world when I look, listen to the news, look at what's happening? There's a divine direction in all of it. And it's in the person of Jesus Christ. You shall call his name Jesus. He came for the purpose of giving himself as a present to those who would receive him. I close with this little poem. I think it's so beautiful. Come now and view the manger. The Lord of glory say, a houseless, humble stranger in this poor world for thee. There see the Godhead glory shine through that human veil and willing hear the story of love that came to heal. You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Have you received the present? And if you have, you have reasons to celebrate this morning. If you have not, this can be your departing day from your past to your future by receiving the present that God gave to the world at Christmas. Let us pray. Take a moment, friends, to reflect upon this and to ask yourself the question. Have you received the present? Ask him to be your savior now. Let him know that you believe that he died for you and that he rose again and that you believe and receive him as your savior if you have not, if you have, 
then give thanks to God who is our salvation, who planned it all so that you and I might live with hope in this hopeless world. Seal any decision that is being made, Father, and may it come to our awareness in days to come, as people say, that morning, that Christmas morning on the 23rd of December, I ask Christ into my life at Sodoville Church, or I rededicate myself to the Son of God who loved me, for he came not only as Christ, but as Lord. He comes not to bargain with us, but to offer us the gift of eternal life. And for this, we give you our grateful thanks in his name. Amen.